What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for this very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new podcast links to articles get posted out from. You can check them out right from the source as well at SportsEthos.com. But you guys should be checking out Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter, getting everything in a nice little organized feed for you there with all of our new content. So make sure you are checking it out. But today we have a very special guest on the show joining us to talk Seattle Mariners. Usually the people that I, I know in the fantasy baseball world starts out, I meet them virtually and then maybe I'll meet them in person or somewhere down the line, something like that. This guest today, I actually met in person before I really knew who he was online. Yes, we hung out quite a bit in Arizona. He was one of the people that I was spending a lot of time with. He is a great dude. He is Sam Wershing. You guys can find him on Twitter at SamFBB1. That's capitalized, the FBB1. He works for the Dynasty Guru. He's got a couple of great podcasts he's going to talk to you about. He's got a great new endeavor that he's working on right now with our friend Justin Mason as well. He's going to tell you all about that. Sam, thank you so much for joining the show today. How are you? Man, I am doing great. Uh, I super appreciate being on. And uh, that's a heck of an introduction, man. Thank you. That was pretty thorough and nice. I appreciate it. No worries, uh, man. I guess to just get into it real quick, uh, I've been writing at the Dynasty Guru for a couple of years. I do prospects and rankings and uh, some other articles. Uh, I've been doing that for a while, and I do a podcast with them, Dynasty Divorces, and I also have my own podcast on that platform called Peace Love Baseball. Uh, I've been doing that for a year and a half now, just under. Peace Love Baseball is not about fantasy. It's just about people and why they love baseball, so... Don't go there for content, but go that there to hear the human side of uh, the fan interaction and experience. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I just started uh, a few weeks ago. I'm doing fantasy content at Friends with Fantasy Benefits or Dynasty content at Friends with Fantasy Benefits. Uh, I'm doing rankings with Justin. We're doing a weekly podcast that's all Dynasty oriented. And so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, he's a lot of fun to chat with and. Uh, I just love talking about baseball, and it's an exciting time to be a Mariners fan. So there it is. That's awesome. Justin was here last week talking Giants. We hung out, all like the three of us were hanging out a lot in Arizona, and there was a couple other guys. Mike Carter was with us a lot, Kevin Hastings, Britton Allen. There was a great group of us who were hanging out, and it was, it was really great to get to meet you, man. Um, even though you're a Mariners fan, and you guys knocked out my Blue Jays from the playoffs last season, unceremoniously swept us at home. It was tough to watch. And then you took Teoscar Hernandez from oh, us. <clears throat> but we're going to get into all that here. Before we start talking specific players, what is your outlook on the Mariners for 2023 in general? Do you think this is a postseason team? Do you think if you do believe that, do you think they can go far? Where, where are you at right now for the Mariners for this year? Well, a quick disclaimer. I've been rooting for the team since the early 80s. And so I'm used to disappointment. And it's been really difficult emotionally to get uh, in line with the fact that we've got a great team. We got a good front office. That's making really smart moves. Uh, we have kids that are working really hard. Uh, their development system uh, is top tier uh, as far as what they've been doing with their pitching staff uh, and their, their, their scouting has just been amazing. And so, you know, when I look at that club for 2023, uh, I get real excited. You know, I want to watch the baseball happen, you know, it, this is next season. Anything can happen next season. And so uh, I feel in spite of the moves that Texas made and Anaheim made, uh, I still feel like we're the second best team in the AL West. Uh, uh, Houston is just a monster. 
Uh, I absolutely, as a fantasy player, I'm in love with half of that team. Uh, and in real life, I absolutely can't stand them because they are going to more than likely win the AL West and do it uh, in style. Uh, but I see us as a playoff team and I see us as a deep playoff team. Uh, our, our rotation is a playoff and a regular season rotation. Those, those four arms uh, I don't know who's going to end up being SP five, whether it's Marco Gonzalez or somebody else steps up or they sign somebody, um, you know, when Robbie Ray is arguably your fourth starter and he won a Cy Young, you know, with you guys in 21, like it, the sky's the limit. And uh, you know, the offense, we've got a couple questions. Kelnick is a big question, but I, I don't want to think about what that would be like if Kelnick seized that job because he was hitting the ball at the plate the way that we all know he could. That lineup would become really deep and really strong. So super excited for him. Got a lot of helium that I've been uh, huffing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like they're great. So go Mariners. You know, Kelnick is such a curious case. If you go back and look a couple of years ago at prospect rankings, a lot of the time he's ahead of Julio and he is ahead of Bobby Witt. And it's kind of shocking how he has really not been that. But at the same time, we're still talking about somebody who's 23 years old. Hearing a lot of reports in spring that he's taking notes and he's been very, um, very focused in on improving his game. Maybe you have a little bit more insight on that exactly. I don't know if you've heard what I what I saw there. I was on Twitter somewhere that Kellenic is really invested in his own growth this year. And I think maybe part of it is the fact that he sees those same names from his own draft class surpassing or his own rookie class kind of surpassing him. Um, is this kind of the year for Kellenic to break out? Or you think that we're, I don't know, where, where are you at on Jared Kellenic right now? Cause I'm, I'm really lost on where to rank him. So we had a, a situation a couple of years ago before 21, where there, the front office came out at a social, a rotary club and admitted that they were, uh, manipulating service time of players. And I think that that really affected Jared mentally. I think that instead of him wanting to be, the best version of him at the plate and in the field that he could be. He wanted to prove somebody wrong. And I don't think that Jared's a grinder. He, he is somebody who works incredibly hard. He's passionate about it. He's athletically gifted. You know, he's, he really has all the tools that it's going to take to be a successful major league player and potentially more than that. And I think it took him a year and a half, two years to really realize that he might've taken that deal that was given to him. It wasn't, potentially service manipulation they were just buying out arbitration you know they wanted to give him uh, a safety net to have just like evan white who isn't playing anywhere but is still making that money from the mariners and so uh i what i saw was a couple days ago he had three at bats and all three of those hits were above 107 miles per hour or or higher two of them were home runs if he can string a couple games like that together where he's just getting hits He's stealing some bases. He's playing good defense. Uh, I think next year we could be talking about him as an outfielder three in 15 team leagues and, uh, you know, somebody that you'd have to roster in all dynasty leagues, 12 teams or above. So I'm, I'm excited for what this year has. He's young. He's got the talent, you know, and uh, if you're okay with failing, like baseball's that sport that you have to be okay with failure. And if he starts to embrace that and realizes that's how he's going to be a better player, taking those notes, being, you know, uh, at, you know, in the moment for those things, I I'm still in on him and, you know, take it for what it's worth. Cause I'm a Mariners fan, obviously, but I'm, I, I think that that's real. 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to plan on it. It's really difficult to, you know, say I'm planning my flag. Jared Kelnick's going to hit 280 and hit 20 home runs and steal 30 bases. And it's going to be just an absolute, I can't say that he's going to be the best version of Jared Kelnick that he could be, but I could see somebody hitting 250, 260. I could see somebody being a 15, 20 guy. I could see somebody playing really good defense. And by the time we get to the all-star break, he's not platooning with AJ Pollock anymore. So I, I like him. I like, I really like him in dynasty still. And in redraft, I like him as a late round flyer. He's probably, <clears throat> this is probably a great buying opportunity in dynasty. Cause his price is probably, I don't focus so much on dynasty. You probably tell me more, but his price is probably in the toilet right now compared to where it was a year, 18 months ago at this point. Yeah. The, the projection systems tend to think that he's going to play more than 100 games. In general, they're all kind of 102, 103. And then you got the Zips projections uh, from Dan Zimborski at Fangraphs 22 homers and 11 steals over 134 games. So maybe he does reach that. I could definitely see it. If you look at the pedigree, like uh, it's all there. He just has to put it together at the major league level. And the platooning thing is interesting. Like, do they really want him to lose at bats to AJ Pollock? I know he's not the greatest against lefties, but in terms of his development, I don't know how much. Like, do you expect Pollock to to get the lion's share of those at bats against left-handed pitchers, or do you think that it'll be more so Kellenic? Where do, how do you see that exactly? Uh, I think the next three weeks are really going to answer that question. I think that uh, if Kellenic has a really strong spring training, there is a chance that they're not going to platoon him. But they signed AJ Pollock for seven million, and you know, it, all you have to do is go look up what he does against left-handed pitching to understand why they have him for that position. And right. so, you know, I, you, you have that bullet in your gun, man, you got You got to shoot it. And so uh, Jared's going to have to take the job from him. You know, if Jared, it, if Jared's just have, has half-ass results on the field or at the plate where he's just not, you know, he doesn't pass the eye test and he doesn't pass the stats test, then no, we're going to see Pollock all season. But I think Kelnick has a chance to break out of that, like I was saying earlier. And so I, I we're going to find out in the next three weeks how strong of a, a start Kelnick's going to have to the season. And I believe that by the all-star break, we're going to know. Sorry, I Today, but that's I mean, that's where I think those questions really get answered. No, it's true. It's totally fair. We're going to find out. Maybe we won't even know by the end of spring. Potentially, maybe they'll carry that over into the season a little bit. If there's un, uh, you know undefined results at the end of spring training, maybe he looks OK and they're not you know fully ready to invest in him as a full time player. Uh, it's interesting, and I think at the draft price, when you're looking at redraft here, I'm looking at the most recent uh, draft champions. He's going around pick 312. I think that's totally reasonable if he does break out, even if he does go for that 20 and 10 season, which is totally within the realm of possibility for him. I think that that price is he's going to smash through that in terms of how he'd rank at the end of the season. I think definitely be a top 200 player or beyond uh, if things go right for him. And he's in, you know, a very good lineup. He's one of the few question marks for me. A lot of these other guys you look at, you know, pretty much exactly what you're going to get out of guys like Colton Wong, I think Ty France, Mm -hmm. Oscar Hernandez, Suarez. Let's talk about Julio, though. Let's talk about the most interesting guy uh, in this lineup. I love Julio. I think that he is a truly special player. I have him ranked as a top five player this season. I don't even know how to phrase the question exactly because he's just so good. But where where were your thoughts on Julio? I know that sounds kind of stupid, but where are you at exactly on him? Do you think he could even take a step farther than what we saw last season? Do you think he might regress a little bit? Uh, or is that kind of an unknowable thing still at this point? Well... 
to, to answer the first question, what I think about Julio, I think he's transcendent. You know, that he, he's that he's that person on the field that is always bigger than the moment, no matter how big that moment is. He's all he's always in the center and he's always going to be, I think, a part of that conversation with players like Acuna and uh, Ramirez and some of these other players that have just established themselves as foundational fantasy pieces. You know, I, I watched him not run a whole lot in the second half. And I don't know if that was because they were concerned because he plays so aggressively, they wanted to tone him back for injury risk, or if he just didn't feel like he needed to run or there was something behind the scenes. So I get nervous about some of these stolen base projections and thoughts that people have about him stealing bases. Um, but that's it. I, I, I don't see him, you know, really having a problem being the best baseball player on the Mariners for the next five years, 10 years. And, you know, to the front office's credit, they, they signed the player to a really good 14 year deal. There's two seven year deals in there where he makes good money avoiding arbitration. And then he makes big money. If he, if he opts into the other contract, which the way that Machado and some of these other players are going, I wonder if he's really going to, uh, opt into that big deal. I think we're going to have to re-sign him to something bigger, but we have him for seven years. I'm or six years, one of the two. And I'm, <laughs> I think he's great. And I think he's going to potentially always be in that first five or six, you know, who are you taking? It's, it all depends on, did you want the outfielder? Did you want the infielder? You know, how did he, was he, was he super elite last year or just elite? So yeah, I don't know how to really describe him other than say like, I watch him every chance I get. Every time there's a highlight on Twitter, you stop the feed, you watch the video, you smile. For me, I giggle a little bit. You know, I Julio's great. Julio is incredible, and I I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. He just turned 22 years old a couple of months ago. And he I missed agree. 30. He missed 30 games last season. He still had 28 and 25. So can he be a 35, 35 guy? I think the speed is the big question. And I think even the projections, some of them have him for 20 steals, some of them have him for 30 steals. Right. So I think there's still a bit of an unknown there, especially because like you said, in the second half, he didn't steal as much. I don't know long-term if he's going to, I've heard some people in the industry talk about maybe long-term he cuts out the steals and focuses more on the power, you know, thinking about, I don't want to compare him to this guy, but Byron Buxton kind of thing. Uh, you know, the steals kind of go away and focus more on your power, maintain your durability as you get older a little bit. Are you are you willing to draft him first overall this year? If you got the one zero one in a draft, would you take him first? Uh, it all depends on what the format is. So if it's a dynasty league, I would take him one one. Yeah. If we're talking uh, redraft, uh, like for TGFBI, which we're doing, uh, I wouldn't take him one. I still want to take Jose Ramirez or uh, Trey Turner. Those are those are. You know, in that order, that's where I want to take them. But then there's, you know, it's Julio, Soto, and Acuna, as far as I'm concerned, and take the flavor that you like the best because <laughs> all of them, all of them are amazing. And that's, you know, that's one of the problems that I have when I'm trying to figure out Julio is that I don't want to put a lid on it. You know, you don't want to make that huge statement that, yeah, he's a 40-40 guy because that, you know, so rare in the majors. But, like, I, I wouldn't bet against it. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he in the next five years, he doesn't have a season if he stays healthy where he has that, you know, those stats, because I don't think for him it's speed. I think for him, it's it's the want to do it. And if he wants second base, it's his. 
He's he's fast. He's fast. So I and he's he wears a Mariners jersey, man. Come on. <laughs> Sam is deeply in in love here with Julio, and you can't blame him. I feel the same way about our own version of Julio here in Toronto, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, I'm, you know, growing up as a Jays fan in the early 2000s, it was it was a lot of shit. It was it was bad. There was not a lot of stuff that you could look at and take positives out of it, aside from the fact that we had Roy Halladay. <clears throat> and now, similarly to what you got going on in Seattle, we have this influx of young talent and all these guys who are under 30 who are really, really exceptional. Even some guys who are, you know, at 30 or even pushing 30 a little bit or over it, whatever. There's a lot of talent on this roster. And even aside from Julio and Kalanick, the young guys, if you start to grow uh, to the guys who are a little bit older, Ty France. Um, I'm a big fan of Ty France. I know you are a huge fan of Cal Rowley. Uh, why don't we talk about him? Why don't we get that one out? Because I know you're probably itching to talk about Cal Rowley. I've heard some people talk about how he's, you know, kind of a fancy version of Mike Zanino, and they're expecting a lot of regression this season. And I've heard varying varying opinions. You're shaking your head here. Where are you at right now on on Cal Raleigh? So I apologies to anybody who makes this Zanino comparison, but I think it's lazy. Uh, Cal Raleigh uh, is young. He's 25, 26. And last year, he stepped in and became the full-time catcher of arguably one of the most dynamic uh, pitching groups in all of baseball. Because once you get past their starters, the Mariners have incredibly filthy uh, pitchers in their bullpen. And Cal Raleigh uh, handled that staff with a ton of grace. Uh, And while he was doing it, uh, he was playing through injuries. In fact, in September, he had thumb ligament damage and all kinds of things. When when he hit that shot against the A's to send us to the playoffs, he needed to have surgery on his hand. Mm-hmm. You know, So he has got this tough factor that is just through the charts. If you go back and look at uh, his hitting, he he's not a hit-first catcher. He's a power catcher. He hits for power. But his average in the minors was between 250 and 300 for a lot of it. And he had a couple months this year, especially before he uh, he got sent down at the beginning of the year and then came back up uh, early and finished the season with the Mariners. Uh, when when he came back up, he only had a little bit of uh, adjustment time. There were only a couple months. I think he had a bad August uh, and he had a, a little bit of a rough July. I, I'm going to attribute that to injury and, and being more focused in on what he needed to do behind the plate. Uh, I think Cal Raleigh is the next version of Sal Perez. Somebody who is a, who is a gamer, who isn't going to kill you in batting average, isn't going to win you a league in batting average, but is just going to consistently give you counting stats and give you home runs. The Mariners are batting him in the middle of their lineup. Generally, I've seen him bat four. I've seen him bat five. I've seen him bat six. Uh, So I think that he's a middle of the lineup catcher that is really going to show some people some things this year. I I, I don't, I I understand the, the, the average and the concern about a sit tool, but um, I I don't have that worry about him. I, I, and especially because I see him as the Mariners catcher, he's, He's going to get 120 games a season for you at catcher. And uh, if nothing else, that production is going to be helpful. You know, if he doesn't end up being who I feel like he's going to be, but I'm, I'm all in on him in, in dynasty. I have him as a top 10 overall catcher and I'm, 
you know, as I said, I wasn't willing to plant my flag about Julio Rodriguez. I, I will plant my flag about Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh is going to be somebody that you have to draft every wow. for the next five years. I'm I'm in. I mean, there's a couple things that concern me a little bit, like the strikeout rate's a little bit too high, but it, it wasn't really in the minors. For the most part, he was striking out less than 20% of the time. There was a couple of stretches where it was a little bit above. But even the batting average, you know, and the BABIPs as well. If you look at the, the BABIP and batting average in the minor leagues are always – so let, let's start with the BABIP. Looking at, and again, some of these are small sample sizes, but 309, 267, 286, 327, 350 – and then the majors, it was 226. And if you look at the batting averages in the minor leagues, 288, 261. He hit 324 in AAA in 2021, <clears throat> over 44 games. So it's not, you know, it's not a right. huge sample size, but it shows he's definitely capable of being better than a 211 hitter, uh, especially he's walking close to 10% of the time last year. There's a lot to really like here with Cal Raleigh. And the price is pretty damn reasonable right now. He's going in like the one fit. Where is he right now? 147, 150 kind of range. Yeah. I think it's totally reasonable. You can get him as your, your second catcher. If you want to wait, you can maybe be a little bit ballsy about it. Get him as your first catcher. I don't know that I want to do that just because the guy's below him. You're probably not looking at so many great names, but I, I'm definitely interested in him. The Zanino thing on the surface, I can understand why people want to make it. A lot of strikeouts, similar home run numbers. Um, but at the end of the day, Zanino's a lot older, a lot less sexy of a fantasy player than the young big dumper. And you got some very cool merchandise, don't you? You got like you you had stickers, or you had what was it in Arizona that you had? It was stickers, right? Yeah, I made stickers. So uh, I'm the unofficial president of the Big Dumper Fan Club. And, <laughs> uh, my oldest child uh, made stickers for me. Here, I'll show them off. I've got them on my phone. There's That's awesome. And then there's this one is the big dumper. <laughs> and so uh, to spread kindness down at first pitch, I was handing out those stickers like hotcakes. That's I had awesome. like 50 of them left. Did I give you? Did you get one, Joe? I didn't get one. I'll get one next year. I'll get one next year. <laughs> the only sticker I got was from Bubba. I got this uh, gaining the edge fantasy sticker. Yeah, yeah, I got that one too. <laughs> you got that one too? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll get one next year. Because Arizona, I'm not sure if you've committed for next year for Arizona. I'm going to be there 100%. I had an incredible time going down there. Uh, you're going you're to make it next year, you think? Oh, it was a game changer. You know, I, you walk into a room where everybody there wants to talk about baseball and wants to be kind and is excited to go. Walk. I mean, I don't, I don't see a November where I'm not in Arizona. You know, like I want to do the AFL. I want to go and do those things. I, you know, this is the best community. I, I love the fantasy baseball community and the people that were there to a person were just so awesome. You know, we've mentioned it a couple of times in this pod, but that it, it not to make too much of it, but it was a life changer for me. It made me feel like this was really, you know, what I wanted to do was talk about baseball. So I will be there. I promise. I am. I'm in the same boat as you. I I was there, and it was you know because I can't sit around with my friends and talk about you know these stats we're talking about woba and wrc plus and babip and all the rest of it. They would look at me. I have one or two friends who know what I'm talking about, but for the most part, I'd be talking to myself. My parents, they don't know what, what the hell I'm talking about when I go into this stuff. So that's kind of the experience that you get when you go down there of being able to talk with you know fellow spreadsheet nerds. I'm not a math person by any means, really. Uh, but I'll spend a lot of the time on fan graphs, probably more time than I should spend on fan graphs. And there's, everybody in that room is doing the same thing. And you get to see some incredible players. I think Julio was there a couple of years ago. Bobby Witt was there. This year we got to see like Jordan Walker and some cool players. So you never know what you're going to get. 
kind of just some free advertising here for Baseball HQ. But it's definitely something that you guys should take part of. It's a, it's a great event. You get to see some great young prospects. And, you know, maybe you see the Julio of tomorrow if you go down there. Just looking at this team, though, man, like, uh, I, and there's something that keeps catching my eye with the Mariners, and it's just the fact that you guys knocked me out in the playoffs. And, and I'll, I'll never really get over it, I don't think. Yeah, I probably will eventually, actually. But just I was so sure we were going to beat you guys. It was all at my friend's house. We were all drinking. We were all we were all essentially drunk by the second inning, seeing how the game ended up going for Toronto. But the Oscar was amazing in that game. He had a couple of bombs. Oh, and then, my God. That was, his, that was his swan song in Toronto. Let's talk about Teoscar Hernandez because I've heard some people say, and you know, this is maybe just Blue Jays fans trying to you know get over the loss of Teoscar, but saying, oh, you know, he was not so great. I think it's bullshit. I think he was fantastic, um, but they weren't going to extend him. He strikes out too much, and his defense is shitty, and and all, all these different things. I think I, I think he's a great baseball player. Still, he's got a couple of silver sluggers. You know, he's he's a guy who can hit close to 300, give you 30-plus home runs. I think that he's going to look great in this lineup. Where, where are you at right now on Tay Oscar, though? Well, it's good to hear you as a Blue Jays fan talk about your feelings about him because that's really, you know, you've had more exposure to watching him play baseball than I have. You know, I have to look at stats versus looking yeah. at live baseball. Uh, how can you not be excited about him? He was... He was part of that Astros, uh, the, when the Astros finally were developing talent, uh, he was part of that influx in the mid, uh, like 2016, 17, I think is when he got drafted. Uh, and they traded him to, to Toronto, and Toronto just was like, he's gold. We stole him. It was like we traded Francisco Liriano or something. Like, we stole him. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, congratulations, by the way, anybody that can steal real talent from the Astros. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I I agree with you completely. And that's the thing is that he doesn't hit wall scraping home runs. And if you're going to be in Seattle, you have to be mentally tough as a hitter. You know, that's part of the problem that Jared had also, I think, is that Seattle just doesn't come easily. This is not, you know, Cincinnati. This is not some other park where everything's just going to be a double or a home run. Like it's that Marine layer. It's that real grass. It's that whole thing that you get there that it's terrible for, for run production. And so Teoscar is going to be somebody that is going to have no problem with where the fences are. You know, I don't, I don't see him losing out on a lot of his power and we need, we need a couple thumpers and he's got that blessing where he's not a Richie Sexton who we got, you know, 15 years ago that could hit 30, 40 home runs, but hit 215. You know, Teoscar has a great hit tool. And yes, he strikes out, but I think Teoscar strikes out because he is so aggressive and that that spurns his success at the plate that he's not a patient hitter. He, he wants to get a hit. He wants to swing the bat. He's not going to get cheated at bats. And that's how I read his strikeout rate. I would be worried if uh, he became more passive. You know, totally I, I, I like that he's aggressive with that. And he's 30. He's He's got a good three, four years left before we start to have to worry about him falling off of a cliff, I think. I, I don't I don't know of a big injury history with him. I mean, can you help me out with that? Was he injured a lot for Toronto? He's he's had some stuff. He was injured at the beginning of last season. And I think it kind of affected him the entire – I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. I feel like it was a sh- – shoulder i think i'm not looking at like an injury breakdown but he did miss 31 games last year uh and i don't think he ever really truly got going after that it was kind of a down year overall and that being said his down year was still 25 homers 
He had 77 RBIs. He batted 267, which was, you know, a little bit disappointing when you consider the fact that he batted 296 in 2021. He was 289 in 2020. But I do think that he was hampered last year from the get-go. I forget if it was, I think it was the second or third game of the season, actually, where he got hurt and he missed the first month or so. He got going a bit. He still ended up with 25 homers, but I don't think that it was the true Teoscar Hernandez. Now, I don't necessarily think that 2021 is what he's going to give you every year where he had 32 homers and 12 steals and he batted in 116 runs. The Jays were just incredible offensively that year, but I think he can give you 30 homers. He can give you 70 to 80 runs. I think that the RBI total could potentially come close to 100 again. Like That wouldn't shock me where he's batting in that lineup, maybe in the 90s somewhere. You know, throw in your probably close to 10 stolen bases and a good batting average. I don't know why these projection systems have him batting in the 240s and 250s. For the career, he's a 262 hitter, and that's factoring in a couple of those early developmental seasons where he's batting 230 and 239 and still figuring out the game. You know, I do think he can be a 270 hitter very easily with 30 home runs and at least 10 stolen bases. And I think his price, he's going in the 80s. Uh, he's, he's discounted because of that perceived down year. But I think there was a lot more going on with Teoscar than just he sucked last year. Right. Uh, and maybe not a lot more, but the fact that he did miss some time at the beginning of the year. The Blue Jays' offense as a whole last year was not as good. Vladdy was not as good. Bo Bichette was not as good. Lourdes Gurriel forgot how to hit home runs. The whole team kind of lagged behind the 2021 version of the team, and maybe losing Marcus Semien was, was a factor there. But I think you give him a fresh start in Seattle where – you know, the Toronto media was a little bit hard on him for his defense. Maybe we don't see that so much in Seattle. It's a bit of a smaller market. Regardless, I think we can see a better season than what we saw last year from Teoscar. And I think that he's going at a very reasonable price in redraft right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And I keep forgetting how big Toronto is. You know, you think Canadian city, it's not that big, but you guys are a huge yeah, six, 10 million people. If you're talking about like there's there's the Toronto, the core of Toronto, and then there's the greater Toronto area. So Toronto has about three million people, I think, and the, the GTA, the greater Toronto area, I think it's about I think it's close to ten million. Uh something like that. Yeah. Um I I look it up real quick actually, because I'm I'm actually not too sure. GTA population uh, about seven million, although yeah, about seven million. So it's not massive. Seattle. It's not massive, but it's it's the biggest market in the country. And because the teams are located here, you got the Blue Jays here, you got the Toronto Raptors here. Right. Uh, they talked back today about bringing an NFL team here. Uh, it's kind of the big Toronto market. I'm not sure. Seattle in general is is still a fairly small market. How many people are in Seattle? How many people live there? Uh, it's under a million under for a million. the city itself. You know, we've got a couple cities around it that are, are big, Tacoma and Bellevue. Uh, but it's not... There's maybe three, three and a half, four million people metropolitan in Seattle, and that's a that's a spread out area over a couple counties. Yeah, the, when I'm talking about the Greater Toronto area, that's a that's a pretty big area. But still, I think that you go, you take the Oscar out of that big market where there was it wasn't like a huge thing. It's not like we're in New York or Los Angeles, but people are getting on him about his defense, and they probably will in Seattle too to some extent. But a fresh start, a hopefully healthy season. I think we could see even thirty five home runs from him potentially double digit steals i really think that batting average is a lot better than what the projection systems are giving him and that's where i'm going to keep coming back to i would bet a lot of money that he bats over 260 and nobody nobody who does projections seems to think so but we'll talk with ariel cohen or somebody about putting some friendly money on the line here because i i really do think that he's, he's going to bat higher than that i'm a, it's a it's a hill i'm probably willing to die on honestly at this point but uh, we, we've covered Teoscar. uh we've covered him in pretty good depth there the guy right behind him in the lineup 
I think he's also very interesting. Eugenio Suarez, he came off of kind of a couple of bad seasons in Cincinnati. And what he did last year, it was very similar production-wise to what he was doing in Cincinnati with the exception of the batting average going up 45 points. I mean, the home runs were exactly the same from the year before. Everything else was very similar, uh, but that batting average coming back up was huge for Suarez. Where do you see him uh, as of right now? Uh, just a really solid third baseman. Uh, you know, he had a lot of success in 2019 with that rabbit ball. I think that was the year he hit like 700 home runs. And so, you know, I think 2020 and 2021 were really difficult for him mentally. And I know that he was dealing with some injuries. And so, you know, when we traded for Winker and him, it was supposed to be Jesse Winker and Suarez as a salary drum. Well, yeah. A year later, Winker's now playing for uh, Milwaukee, and we are in love with Eugenio Suarez. Uh, he's just got that it factor. He he seems to really be one of those guys that you want to have on your team in real life. You know, super happy, super positive, super engaged with everybody, and you don't feel like it's uh, you know a bunch of crap. Like I'm, so I'm in Seattle, and I've. I root for the Seattle Seahawks and we got 10 years of Russell Wilson and you never once believed that that guy was being truly sincere when he was so happy and so positive, right? Like you can tell when somebody's just like, wow, you're always at level 10. God, calm down sometimes. Yeah. Eugenio is, you know, he brings it when he needs to super humble, works super hard. And uh, I think he's finally playing without injuries and, and we're seeing that his batting average started to return. His power was still there. Um, I, I really like him. I like him in, uh, 15 teamers as a uh, third baseman. It's a, you know, I've, the phrase I've used now is the, the, the Mordor of baseball is the wasteland of third baseman, you know, and there's about nine of them, the nine third basemen of Mordor that, you know, are worth drafting at third base. And after that, it's a crapshoot. He's one of those guys that if I ended up having him in third base and redraft, I'd be perfectly happy with him. And if I ended up getting him in quarter infield because I attacked third base early, uh, I think he's great. He has that in our game. He's got power and power seems to be uh, something that's disappearing all over. And so I like him. And if he does hit 250, 260 this year, he's going to do you a big solid with counting stats as well. Uh, that, like you said, it's a good lineup and he's sitting in the middle of it. So he's, he put up some incredible seasons in Cincinnati. And the thing with him in recent year has been the batting average. He drains the batting average. He didn't used to drain the batting average at all. Now, some of those seasons you want to talk about the rabbit ball and he was in, you know, great American small park. He batted 280 multiple times. He batted 270. He batted 260. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a 200 hitter. And he showed it last year that he is capable of more than that, a 236 hitter, when he gets some more Babbitt luck. And that was the thing in 2020 and 2021. The Babbitt was 214 and 224, respectively, where uh, in years prior, it had never been below 300. So he was kind of unlucky for those couple of seasons. I know that's kind of like surface level, but if you look at the stats, it's right there in front of you. You don't need to dig so much to see that he was very unlucky in 2020 and 2021. He's a perennial 30 home run guy, like you said, middle of a very good lineup. 80 RBIs should be on the table for him, and he's at a horrible position. Third base, I took Austin Riley in, in TGFBI, and I might have taken him one or two picks before maybe he should have, before ADP. I think I got him at like 18 or so, and it's just because the position sucks so much. But if I end up with a Suarez, you know, he's going, I think, around one, pick 170. Yeah, exactly, pretty much 170 right now. 
you don't necessarily have to reach for third baseman, even though I, I've been doing it because I'm just panicking with third base. But if you do miss out on one of those top tier names, Suarez is a very capable guy to have, you know, sitting there in your queue in case you miss out on your Jose Ramirez's and your Bobby Witts and Machado's early on and Devers and Bragman and the rest of them. I really like Suarez. He walks a lot. He's still good for OBP leagues. He's still good as far as I see it. I think you can have him as in your 12-teamers as a third baseman as well. Like, I think he's right on the borderline there. He's probably about the 11th or 12th third baseman. I, I'm totally fine with that. I really like him. Maybe his stats were inflated a bit power-wise. You know, He's not going to hit 50 home runs again probably, yep. but 30 to 35, I think that's totally reasonable to expect from him. I really do. 30 to 35 is great also. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality of the game right now, And unless they bring back a funny baseball. That 30 to 35 home runs is just solid. Like, set it and forget it if he's healthy. So, yeah, I'm absolutely. With mm-hmm. The only guy we really didn't talk about, I think that's that important here in the lineup, would be Ty France. Uh, he is somebody who I still think is very good. There was a time, I think the first month of last season, I think he might have been the number one fantasy player, if memory serves. He and started off ridiculous. Ridiculously hot, and he did cool down. But he still ended up with 20 homers, 83 RBIs. He batted 274. He's only striking out 15% of the time, which is something I did not really realize. The guy does not strike out at all. Nope. He actually has third base eligibility, too, depending on where you play. Uh, if you're playing in Yahoo and I think ESPN as well, he is third base, where he is, I think, just first base on the NFBC. Yep. But you got that extra eligibility there, depending on where you're playing. I like Ty France a lot. Where are your thoughts on him right now? Uh, Ty France is just, you know, he's a metronome. You know, he just consistent. He's just going to do what he's going to do. Uh, and he's his big his big downside is he gets hit by pitch a lot. And that's that's where uh, he gets injured in the hands and the arm. And there was a play at first base where he made an awkward uh, reach out. Uh, and one of the I forget which A's guy ran into his arm and hyperextended his elbow. Uh, you know, just some real unfortunate things that aren't because necessarily his body's breaking down, but just the way that he plays the game, how he goes about it. Uh, he replaced a gold glove first baseman and Evan White uh, in 2021 uh, and did incredibly well. Did it incredibly well again in 2022. Uh, I love him at our first base. Uh and I think that his hit tool is underrated. I think we keep seeing his 70th and 80th percentile outcomes. And one of these seasons, the next three or four, I think we're going to see a season where 25 home runs, he hits over 300, and he just absolutely, you know, last year in the first month, I think he was one of the most valuable fantasy players in all of baseball. You know, you could get six months of that, and then we're talking about, you know, <laughs> He would he would be a top five, top six first baseman at that point if yeah. he had a breakout season like that. If somebody saw that he he could hit th- over three hundred with power, I'm just pulling up his numbers here from the first month. So in April, uh, he batted three thirty seven with five dingers. In May, he batted three fifty five, only hit two home runs, but three fifty five for the month. Uh, and then June, July, uh, it kind of fell off for him in the second half. Admittedly. Does yeah. that worry you at all? He was 308 in the first half, 229 in the second half. Home runs stayed the same, 11 and 9 uh, for the first and second half. But does that batting average down the stretch concern you at all? He was dealing with an arm injury and he was hand injuries from, like I said, that play at first and the hit by pitches. That's, I don't, that's what I don't, you think? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident. I mean, I, I don't know because I don't work for the Mariners. And yeah. No type for hands. Yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty certain. You know, he's he's been a hit machine everywhere he's gone. 
his entire career. And so I'm not worried about that. I think now that he's had an off season to, you know, watch video, heal up, work on getting his swing back. I'm, I'm real excited for what he's going to have to offer the Mariners this year for 2023. And I think he's a big reason why we don't know what to do with Evan White, because mm. you're not putting Evan White at first base. If Ty France is there, you know, yeah, there was, there was that video that, uh, that Chris Welsh, is it the Welsh, uh, is it the Welsh tweeted out of Evan White holding, I don't know if you saw this holding an outfielder's glove and there was talk about maybe he was going to play in the outfield a little bit. Yep. Um, and then I think what I remember Welsh saying, he, Evan White didn't even know about this plan for him to go in the outfield and they just handed him an outfielder's glove one day and said, all right, you're going to take some fly balls or something like that. Um, but it's interesting. I think France is probably going to be pretty secure at first. He played there most of the time last season, six times at third, one time at second base, but he should be at first right. pretty much every single day, I would think. I don't know if he's going to necessarily gain another position of eligibility. Probably not. Um, but in those shallower formats, or not necessarily shallower formats, but those more home league styles, like Yahoo, he's got third base eligibility. So he's that much more valuable. I oh. push him up your board a little bit farther. He would be awesome as a third baseman. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where I had him last year on one of my teams. I stuck him in at the third base slot uh, for, for most of the season. That's pretty much the lineup, and it's a, it's a, it's a very good, very enviable lineup for a, for a lot of teams around baseball, considering the young talent, some of the veteran presences around that team. Um, looking at the rotation, also pretty damn enviable. You could take the top four starters, essentially, you know, put their four names in a hat, pull them all out, and you could have a rotation anyway, and it wouldn't be crazy. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put Logan Gilbert at the top of it, but you could you could put them any way you want, and you're going to have a pretty viable rotation with Castillo, Gilbert, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby. Let's start at the top, Luis Castillo. I think he is generally considered the ace of the staff, even though Robbie Ray is just a year removed from a Cy Young. Uh, what are your thoughts on Castillo this year? I know a lot of people are very in. Uh, he's no longer pitching at Coors East over in Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, he's pitching in front of a team that plays defense, so he doesn't have to worry about Eugenio Suarez getting tried out at shortstop, which Cincinnati did to him. Um, He's pitching for an organization that has proven that they are really good at unlocking skills and finding uh, velocity if if it's not there. But he's already got four pitches. He already throws super hard. He's already really good at his craft, and so... uh, I'm just, he's somebody that I just want to sit back and watch. You know, I think he's absolutely worth uh, drafting at his ADP um, in redraft. Uh, I've targeted him in Dynasty just because I'm a homer, and I think that he's going to be really good. The Mariners signed him to a long deal, so this isn't something where we have to worry about the next few years, what's going to go on. Like, I really feel like he's going to be there and is really going to and has raised the bar for the starters you know, we went into last year with Marco Gonzalez potentially as our ace. Oh, my God. And then we signed Robbie Wright. Right. Well, right. So perspective is everything, right? Like uh, Castillo is phenomenal. And just to go down the list real quick, Gilbert hit 99, almost. A, it was rounded up to 100, but he hit 99.6 last year during the season on a pitch. So he's starting to unlock another couple notches of velocity they're all working on cutters if they don't have them and so i think logan gilbert especially with how far his release is and the deception that he has i think logan gilbert's actually going to take another step up this year and that's only going to spurn george kirby who can't walk a batter to save his life because he's just so pinpoint with his accuracy and as a rookie as a rookie 
he came up and just handled his business, did great. It was a high-pressure situation. The Mariners were playing to win baseball for the first time in decades. And so, like, you know, I'm looking at George Kirby being able to figure out his pitch mix and like, oh, this is how I unlock it. This is really the pathway to higher strikeouts and less hard contact. And we haven't talked about Robbie Ray and his pants. I mean, Robbie <laughs> Ray finally learned how to not walk everybody. And I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see 2021 again. That may be the best version of Robbie Ray we're ever going to see, but I don't think that we're going to see less than the 80 or 85th percentile results from that season. I think he's a 200 inning pitcher. I think he's going to strike out over 200 batters. I think he's not going to give up a ton of runs. You know, he, he's not perfect. He's not an ace ace, but he's pretty damn good. And so, yeah, that whole rotation is worth rostering in fantasy because they all have strikeout upside. Uh, they all are really good at what they do. Uh, they play in front of a good defense in a park that limits contact. So, uh, you know, like you said, throw him in a hat, pick a name out. He's awesome. Yeah, with the exception of Gonzalez, with the exception of Marco Gonzalez. <laughs> well, so, so Marco Gonzalez is somebody who, like, I... I, I like him personally. He's tenacious. Yeah. He he fights through everything. He really, you know, other than a couple blowups, he actually had a pretty good season. He's he 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 works at his craft really well. I'm looking forward to him to being long relief. And mm. uh, I know a lot of people are talking about uh, our boy Brash being in the bullpen because he's pitching for Canada out of the bullpen. But I want you to just keep your eye and ear on Matt Brash because I believe by uh, all-star break, he will be SP five for the Mariners. And if, if he, if he's able to harness his stuff and become a starter, uh, it's all, I think it's all over for everybody. We will have five absolute, you know, they'll have the dog in them. Ar, 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 ar. Like <laughs> you're not going to want to face them. You're not going to want to hit against them. I'm, this I'm super excited. Sorry. I don't mean to be so excited about that, but you start no. I would, I would be excited too. I'd be excited too. You know, I, I did a Blue Jays preview yesterday and I was like, you know, Gosman, Manoa and Bassett, that's pretty damn good. And then yeah. uh, it, it almost pales in comparison to what you guys got going on. Truly. I love the Blue Jays and their rotation, but this is, this is really special. Even without Castillo last year, this was a three headed monster. And then you add in a guy like Castillo. I mean, and Castillo, I've had my problems with in 2021. I, you know, my, my bold take was Luis Castillo was winning the National League Cy Young. And then he absolutely killed me in fantasy. He killed me. I dropped him midseason. He picked it up down the stretch. He had a much better second half, but I didn't draft him in 2022 because of it. I've talked about it on the pod a couple times. Yeah. I just stayed far clear away of him. And he had an incredible season. And this year I'm back in. Uh, that's kind of, I needed a year to kind of just get over my feelings towards Luis Castillo. But well, last season he was amazing. Hard. I think you were smart. If he stayed in Cincinnati, I think that Cincinnati was going to break him. It's yeah. not a good place to be an elite pitcher. It's they, they don't have the defense. They don't have the park. It's not, I don't believe they're uh, an incredibly forward thinking organization. I mean, right. somebody can correct me. It, here's my Twitter, Sam FBB one. Let me know if you know of, you know, Cincinnati being uh, a, a development organization that I'm not giving enough credit to, but I think the Mariners saved him you know, because he has that filthy stuff. And uh, I'm real curious. So 2021, he killed you in April and May because he's a slow starter. And that was when he had that painfully slow start. Correct. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. His ERA was like 
six or seven. It was, <laughs> it was, it was truly like atrociously bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, had he gone anywhere else, you know, there, there's a good chance that it might not have worked out this well, but I think that Seattle, you know, I think that, I think that him signing that deal, as soon as he got here, he knew he was home. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch what Luis Castillo can do when he's not worried about his defense and he's not worried about the park dimensions, you know, yeah. I'm just. Another thing with Cincinnati is there's not much win upside for the pitchers because the team sucks. The team is going to win 45 games probably. So right. there's not many wins to go around. Just, But even like outside of Castillo, who I think is probably the ace, you could make an argument that George Kirby could be the ace as well. Like George Kirby, I am enamored with. And I think that he is somebody I'm going to try and have on a lot of my teams just because the price, he's still going outside the top 100 picks for the most part. Like you said, he's allergic to walks. He does not. I want. To, I don't want to look at rates. I want to look at actual walks. So, in 130 innings last year, he walked 22 batters. <laughs> like it was it's just yeah. stupid. It's it's ridiculous. It was 4.1 percent for those who prefer the traditional, like that. Or it was 1.5 walks per nine for those of you who prefer the even more like traditional view of it. But just ridiculous control for somebody who's 24. Is he 25 yet? Uh, he turned 25 this month. Yep, but he is still like in terms of dynasty. Would you put him ahead of Gilbert? Those two, I think those two are kind of curious. I personally, without being the biggest dynasty player, probably would. But what are, what are your thoughts on that one? So it's funny because that's that's a big question. Everybody is trying to you know, do you like A or do you like B? And I, I'd be happy with either one of them. I mean, quite honestly. So so Kirby has got uh, some stuff you know that Logan Gilbert doesn't have as far as his location and, and as far as uh, he had elite velocity before Logan started getting up there. Uh, but Lo Logan Gilbert is a phenomenal pitcher. And I think is incredibly underrated because he has had a more traditional prospect path in the majors where he did struggle a little bit, but he adjusted. And then he struggled a little bit when people adjusted against him and then he fixed it. And I, I he hasn't had a, a, a sincerely bad streak of, of starts. He, he always seems to figure it out and turn it around and he's got really good stuff. And so I like them both, you know, I, I really like them both. I guess if you had to ask me to choose one, you did. I'm also going to go Kirby. Uh, I got to see Kirby pitch here in Everett. I'm, I get to do stuff with the Everett Aqua Sox. And so cool. had more exposure to George Kirby than I did Logan Gilbert as far as the eye test goes. So it's hard not to fall in love with George Kirby. <laughs> he's, he's amazing on the, on the mound, but uh, it's really, you can't go wrong. I really don't think that there's a bad pick between those two. If you were in a dynasty league and you were picking your first pitcher, you couldn't, you know, I don't think you'd go wrong with either one of those. The, the that Everett team, but the first Mariner that you chose, right, 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 yeah. Well, down the line, I could see them both being SP ones for Dynasty at some point. And, you know, you can make the argument that they're even closing in on that at this point. Um, they, that Everett Everett Aqua Sox, is that Double A, Triple A, High A, High A? Okay, High A. I'm, I'm not I'm not a Dynasty prospect person at all. Um, but that's cool, man. That is very cool. Even just being in Arizona, I should be more of a dynasty person because it's very fun to see. You know, if you'd gone to first pitch Arizona a couple of years ago and seen like Julio, and then you see him now, that'd probably be very, very cool uh, experience. I should definitely go and try and see some more minor league stuff. There's nothing around me. I could go to Buffalo and see the Bisons, uh, the yeah, Blue Jays yeah. AAA team. I should probably do that a little bit more. 
but that's pretty much it for the rotation. Uh, you know, Robbie Ray, we, we touched on, he's not going to be as elite as he was in Toronto. He was still very good last year, but I don't think he's, he's winning any more Cy Youngs. I think that's a pretty safe, uh, safe claim to make. The thing, the thing that interests me the most for fantasy this year with the Mariners is Paul Seawald and Andres Munoz. Because everybody is already crowning Munoz as the closer. If you look at Seawald's stats, they are beautiful. Like he is, his Babbitt last year was like a buck sixty, and a lot of the systems expect him to regress a lot this season. But he is just somebody who does not allow base hits. He he just he just doesn't. He hasn't in these last couple of seasons anyway. He has been specifically in twenty two, but even in twenty twenty one, he's incredible. So I, I, as much as I like Munoz, and I think Munoz is probably a better pitcher, he I think he is a better pitcher. I don't know that Seattle's going to just give the job to him because they already have Seawald there who performed very admirably for them last season. Right. And I think Munoz is actually more expensive in drafts right now. He is. Um, He's like around more expensive. Yeah, he's 15 picks more expensive. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? Because I'm still kind of confused as to what exactly is going to happen this season there. Well, I think that your take on the pitchers is right, that uh, Munoz is the better pitcher and Seawald is still elite. So... We're, we're talking about two pitchers that are really good. And I think that uh, Seawald is comfortable in the closer role. Uh, I, I've come around. I used to feel like, I, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I really felt it was important to know your role in a bullpen because it allowed you to be more confident and to have a better routine and to, you know, establish consistency. Since you're not pitching every five days, you know, in a bullpen, you really want to have that. Uh, I've come around. I really like what Seattle and you see it a lot with Tampa uh, where you're, you're preparing every day to pitch. You're preparing every day to pitch in any situation. There's not a defined role. Um, You know, Tampa Bay, if they had an elite elite closer, they might go to that again. Maybe Fairbank steps up and is, is the closer this year for them. But as far as the Mariners are concerned, uh, I think you're going to see Munoz continue to be high leverage situations and Seawald in the ninth. You know, unless unless something happens with Seawald where he is inconsistent this year or just doesn't have something, uh, I think it's great to have Munoz uh, to fall back on. Uh, and I think that Munoz will get 10, 15 saves, but I think Paul Seawald will get 30 of them. I think he's going to get the the lion's share there. Um uh, and that's just based on how they've been running it so far. You know, they did sign Anthony Munoz to a big deal for a reliever who was, you know, hadn't even pitched in the majors yet. They gave him, I think, five years, 25 million or something like that. Um, so I know that he's going to be around, uh, but I think that Seawald is going to be the closer until he's not. And I don't think that's this year. You know, we, I think we might have a, a different conversation for 2024, you know, uh, yeah. but if Seawald is still, if Seawald does in 2023, what he did in 2022, how can you not have him be the closer? And that's kind of my thinking because I, I love Munoz and I rostered him on, on some teams last season when he wasn't even the closer and he just helped me quite a bit with my ratios. He gave me good yeah. 10, 15 strikeouts a week, the odd win, the odd save. He didn't, you know, Jason Adam for Tampa, you mentioned Tampa as well. Same kind of thing. He didn't have to be in the, in the closer role to be fantasy viable. Now, my thing with Seawald is if he's not in the closer role, I don't want to roster him. Where with Munoz, he does have that strikeout upside where even if he is the setup man, uh, you know, you're using him in certain high leverage spots, he would still interest me. But if Munoz does take over that role, 
I don't really see Seawald having much fantasy relevance this season, which is unfortunate. It just, you know, he strikes out a good amount of batters still. But when you're looking at Munoz, you know, Seawald's close to 30% strikeout rate. Munoz is like 40% strikeout rate. <laughs> yeah, it's, he, it's gross. With it's, a better walk rate, too, with a better walk rate. So I like Munoz better from a fantasy point of view. I hope Seawald is the closer so they can both have some fantasy relevance because. Ugh, I can't see Seawald in an eighth inning role pitching four innings a week or three innings a week being that viable for you. Where, where do you what do you think about that? I think you're dead on with that. I think that if Seawald is not getting the line shares of the saves, he's somebody that you're rostering because you're chasing saves and he happens to have a, a an opportunity again, but he's not somebody that you're you're targeting in drafts. So I, I'm with you on that. And I think that Munoz is, you know, long-term, obviously he's younger and has, you know, a little bit better stuff than uh, Seawald. I think that Munoz is the long-term play. You know, again, I know you don't play Dynasty, but in all the Dynasty leagues I'm in, everybody that rosters Anthony Munoz knows who he is and knows what he's worth. I'm in a league. I just, I'm definitely not the person to, if you have a dynasty question on Twitter, definitely go ask Sam, uh, not me. I don't play it enough or focus on it enough uh, in that regard, but Munoz, I believe, looking through the ADP here, is the most expensive non-closing reliever at this point, going about pick 150. And the upside is certainly there. He's going ahead of some closers. Oh, yeah, he is going ahead of some closers. He's going ahead of, like, Jose LeClerc. He's going ahead of who else we got here. Sir Anthony Dominguez, not not really a closer anymore necessarily. Evan Phillips might be. uh, Kyle Finnegan. Carlos Estevez in Los Angeles, who I like. Alex Lang. These guys are going 100 picks later. They have, specifically Alex Lang, like has a secure closer job. And he's by no means anywhere close to as good of a pitcher as Munoz is. But you're not drafting who the best player is. You're drafting who's going to give you those categories. And I think as much as I like Munoz, and I am probably going to end up with a share or two, probably in my home league because people won't know who the hell he is. Again, even though I had him last year, I think that when you're coming to these leagues, you need to take the guy who is going to give you the, the better chance at saves. And at the price for Munoz at 150 you know, this guy's going in that range who, you know, starters, relievers, like he's going ahead of Jeffrey Springs, Chris Bassett, uh, you know, Brady Singer, Grayson Rodriguez going 35 picks beyond Munoz. I'll take Grayson Rodriguez, unfortunately, like as much as I love Munoz. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a little crazy with his cost in, in fantasy because um, you're right. He's he he will give you elite strikeout numbers for a reliever and he's got great ratios but that only goes so far if you're not getting saves it just yeah. there's limitations to it so i'm as a, as a top 150 pick like if he was going 50 picks later i'd be all in uh, but there are guys going in that range that i do want to fill out my starting rotation with there's a lot of pitchers i'm targeting in this range that are you know starting pitchers I don't know that I'm going to and the more i look at it i want to end up with them i'll probably take one share cuz i'm going to do 15 or so leagues but Man, I wish he was a little bit cheaper because I do want him more than just on one or two leagues. I would take him on every league, but the price. It comes down to that's that's what it all comes down to in terms of fantasy. We we like everybody to a certain extent. It's just a matter of are we willing to pay the price? Sam, is there anything we've missed in terms of Mariners? Anything that you think uh people need to know when drafting Seattle Mariners this season? Uh don't be afraid to draft him this year. <laughs> don't I mean they're this is this has been the most uh, the most amount of talent that we've had since we had a team that had, you know, Edgar Martinez and Randy Johnson and Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez, you know, and those teams still didn't do anything. And so 
you know, this, this year, I think these kids are, are young enough to not understand that they're not supposed to be this good still. And uh, I'm expecting big things. So draft your Mariners, go Mariners. I'm thinking they're going to be very good. I don't think they're going to topple Houston for the division crown, but as a wild card team, absolutely. It's unfortunate that they will have to go in as a wild card team, I think, but you never know. You never know. That's why you play the games. Houston's already lost Lance McCullers for now. We'll see if they stay healthy. I'm I know sure. you're probably hoping I wish uh, Lance McCullers is out. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hunter Brown's right there to take his place, but it's a tricky team, man. Houston is a Houston's a tricky team, but I think you guys do have the potential to surpass them at some point. And maybe it's not this year, uh, but long-term, you know, Houston's had their day in the sun now for a few years. It might be time for the sun to shine uh, over Seattle a little bit brighter. But Sam, I'll thank take you. It. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was just going to say I'll take it. And I hope the same for you guys out of all the AL East teams. I love <laughs> Toronto. So I always root for you guys. I appreciate it. Toronto is sometimes very fun to cheer for. Sometimes it's a, it's a huge headache like it was for those couple days there in October. But We'll hope to get you back this year, Sam. It was great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time today, man. Uh, I again, I thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about the Mariners and baseball. So, you want to just remind everybody uh, before I let you go once again what it is you got going on, anything you got upcoming, uh, articles coming out, podcasts, whatever you want to plug. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you can find me on Twitter at samfbb1, and I usually retweet the stuff that I'm either writing about or podcasting. Uh, we have a podcast coming out the end of this week, our third one for Dynasty with Friends with Fantasy Benefits and uh, Justin Mason. We're doing corner infield, middle infielders. We had middle infielders that we're doing. So that'll be coming out. Uh, I also do writing at the Dynasty Guru and I do podcasts with Peace Love Baseball and which you reminded me about. Thank you very much, Joe. And also Dynasty Divorces. So. Uh, I'm all over, and if you ever have any questions or need anything, you can DM me at right there. At Sam FBB1. Sam, you are one of the best people to hang out with in Arizona. You're one of the nicest people in the community. It was great to talk with you again. Even though your Mariners, it's it's never going to go away, that pain of losing in the playoffs to a team, especially when there's the playoff appearances for the Jays are so few and far between. But regardless, we are still friends, even though you are a Mariners fan. I uh, would love to get you back on at some point during the season. Talk again. Maybe we'll revisit the Mariners, see how they're doing. Um, but make sure you're following Sam for sure. Sam is one of the best, and he's severely underfollowed on Twitter. So go ahead and check him out, at SamFBB1. Ted Lasso, 2024, you put that in. You'll also find Sam there on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're following me if you guys are interested in seeing my content, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. More importantly, though, Go check out the company page at E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB, Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where all of our new podcasts, this podcast will be linked out in that feed, all the new articles we got going on. There's a ton of stuff in the works still for our draft guide, which has been launched, but we're going to keep adding articles to it over the next couple of weeks until the season starts. Uh, But by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll probably be March 1st. We'll have regular season baseball this month, so there's a lot to look forward to. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the pod. Make sure you guys are letting us know what you think if you're listening somewhere that allows ratings and reviews. But until tomorrow, we'll be talking with somebody else from the Friends of Fantasy Benefits family. Dave McDonald will be here to talk Cleveland Guardians with us. Until then, guys, take care. Have a great night, and we will see you tomorrow. Peace and love.